All right, maybe seated. Uh, grab a Bible and turn to the book in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 2. Um, I'm excited, very excited. Uh, this is a really, really good passage of Scripture, and we're going to read the whole thing. It's like 20 verses, and we're going to study it. It's going to be awesome. It's really going to be good. I heard that amen, and, and I know what you're talking about. So listen, um, the, the, the message this morning is kind of a part two. We're looking at what happened on the day of Pentecost, what happened in the early church, in the upper room, and then spilling out of the upper room in the city of Jerusalem, what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out. And we looked last Sunday at, at, at the first part of this where the events of Pentecost took place and the Spirit was poured out and people were speaking in other languages, languages that the people visiting Jerusalem for that special holiday spoke so that they could hear the gospel in their own language. And Peter stands up as one of the 12 apostles, they stand too, but Peter speaks up and he gives meaning to the event through teaching the Old Testament and interpreting the event. He gives explanation to the experience from God's word. So we looked at the beginning of what Peter said and what he said last week was he said to all the people in Jerusalem, listen, here's what is happening. The fulfillment of one of the prophets, Joel, is happening here. God is faithfully pouring out His Spirit on every Christian, empowering every Christian to be witnesses for Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So that was last week. So now we're going to finish up looking at Peter's sermon. That's this morning. There are a couple of options for the title for this message, and you can Pick the one that you like the most. I went with cut to the heart, as you can see on your note-taking insert. But there are other options, and I really weighed it all week long, and these are the things that pastors get really stressed about. Um, one was uh, Baptists and Presbyterians acquire the fire. That was one option. Um, another one was the first megachurch because we're going to see 3,000 people get baptized in, at the end of this passage. Um, another one would be how a man named Jesus came to be called the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll see as we read this passage how that is just being unpacked here. Another one would be who killed Jesus. That would be a good title and a good question. As you look at this sermon, just as we look at the structure of the rest of what Peter has to say in Acts 2, I just think it's helpful to show you this. Like There are four imperatives. That's a grammatical term that means commands. And so if you're into teaching or you kind of think it's interesting to look at stuff like that, Peter gives four commands. What are they, you say? The first one is hear. So he's like, he doesn't assume that he has the audience. He's like, hey, listen. That's what the first command is. Hear. And then he says, no, you need to know something. And then he says, repent. And then he says, be baptized. These are the commands that we're going to see. Um, let me just say this, and then I'm going to read the whole passage. Everything Peter is saying is driving toward, I guess you could say it's the climax of, of the teaching today. Like his sermon 
this is the first sermon in church history. And his sermon is, is, if it's an argument, the conclusion of the argument is verse 36, okay? I'm going to read it to you. Um, If it's a boxing match, the knockout punch, the right hook that he saves is verse 36. Let me just read you verse 36 first because I want you to know this is where we're driving toward. He, He says this near the end of his message. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Just picture that and feel that Peter talking to a crowd and saying, whom you crucified. And so that's, that's, that's the climax. That's where this is going. So let's just read it. I want to read it, and then we're going to dive into our three points this morning. Acts 2, verse 22. We looked at 1 through 21 last Sunday. Here's verse 22. You ready? Long passage. Focus. Don't, don't start doing anything else right now. Just we're reading the Bible, Okay. Close the other apps. Here we go. Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Here it is. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, 
he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray together. If you'll bow with me to pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word that is sharper than a double-edged sword and divides between bone and marrow and convicts us in the deepest places of our hearts. Your word has always done that. Your word is always profitable. We see in Jerusalem thousands of years ago, these men, women, even these children, they were cut to the heart when they heard the message of Jesus. So Lord, let us be sensitive to your spirit who brings conviction. And let us, God, be a people who are cut to the heart, who mourn over our sin, who find comfort and joy in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so God, be with us as we study uh, this long passage, this great passage, this foundational passage to our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are titling it Cut to the Heart. There are three points. The first one is we all killed Jesus, but God raised him up. The second one is the whole Bible points to Jesus. And the third one is forgiveness can be found in Jesus. Okay? So I want to look at this first one. We all killed Jesus, but God raised him up. You have a couple of opportunities to fill in blanks here, and some of us really like that. And so here you go. Crucified according to God's plan. That's important to note, and Peter says that, exactly that. But also crucified by Jews and Gentiles. Peter really goes out of his way, I think, to show how many actors are involved in the death of Christ. It's multi-layered. The answer is complicated. So let's look again at verse 22. Men of Israel. So again, Peter is speaking. This is the day of Pentecost, a cultural holiday. There are Jews from all over the known world who have come to Jerusalem because this is a pilgrimage holiday. They're there. And Peter says to them, men of Israel, hear. That's a command. He's like, It's time to listen. Hear these words. What's the first word Peter says to them? Jesus. And I think that is just, just that is a good application point for us. Just starting with Jesus. Jesus. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a man, fully human, the Son of God, fully human, and fully divine. We see here a fancy word, Christology, the study of Christ, his two natures, fully human and fully divine, able to represent us as a man, able to represent God to us as fully God. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Do you know what 
God did when he brought Israel out of Egypt, what he did through Moses, like what it exactly says in the Old Testament? Deuteronomy 26, 8 says, he did signs and wonders. He did signs and wonders to validate, to affirm and confirm his messenger being at that time Moses and now Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. And Peter says, in your midst, he's talking to people. You saw it. Yet their hearts were hardened. We often say, well, if I could have just been around in the time of Christ, you know, that would help my faith. Would it? It didn't help a lot of people's faith. He says, as you yourselves know. And then he says, this Jesus, verse 23, delivered up according to, watch this, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And every Calvinist person who likes to talk about these things said, amen. Yes, please, Matt, go deeper into that. But look, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You know, when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, we often state it this way. We say God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And even saying it that way, really just makes it sound like, yeah, it was God's definite plan that he foreknew. He had a plan, he did his plan, and his plan was done. And that is what we believe. Peter is standing here on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem, and he is, he is talking to them, and he is saying, what just happened 50 days before Peter is preaching this sermon with the death and resurrection of Jesus? He's saying, what just happened was according to the definite plan of God in his foreknowledge. In the Greek, if you do a really deep Greek word study on foreknowledge, it means knowledge before. Okay? Knowledge before. That's right. So God knew. God planned. God implemented his plan as God always does. And so what else do we need to know, though? according to Peter, about the death of Jesus. Definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But Peter says, but you crucified and killed him. He's speaking to these Jews who are there for Pentecost, who just got there for Pentecost. Many of them probably weren't even there 50 days prior when Jesus actually was crucified and Jews who actually lived and were residents of Jerusalem chanted, crucify him, crucify him. These Jews may not have even been there, yet Peter still looks at them and says, you're the ones that said to crucify him. You killed Jesus. But then he says, but that's not all that's true. And by the way, this, this has been seen by many and we could say it's very anti-Semitic. Luke is being anti-Semitic as he sort of puts the death of Christ squarely on the Jews. You crucified him. You killed him. But Luke isn't just putting it on the Jews. What else does he say here? Look at verse 23, all of it. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the Jews crucified and killed Jesus. But what does it say? By the hands of lawless men. The Gentiles, the Romans. 
Pontius Pilate, the centurions. What's the point, really? The point is, we all killed Jesus. Were you there on the day he was crucified? No. These Jews, many of them weren't. But Peter says, you killed Jesus. It's a multi-layered question, right? And really, if you think about it, why did God have the definite plan and foreknowledge to send his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins? Because our sins, and that's all of us, your sins and mine, necessitated it. We all killed Jesus. Yet it was according to God's definite and foreknown plan because God is so sovereign, so omniscient, so loving, and so gracious and merciful. We all killed Jesus, and Peter makes sure to point out, but God raised him up. Look at how he says it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but that's not the end of the story. God, verse 24, raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. The word pangs, since we don't you know, probably use that word all the time, it's the same word for birth pains. And so there's this symbol here of newness of life, being born. He says he has released him from the pangs of death. What else does he say? Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Think about that. That verse right there, like that's just enough for the rest of the week just to reflect on. Death could not hold him. We sing stuff like that, but think about it. Think about it. What Peter is saying here. He's saying Jesus who was fully human. He was a man. He even goes to the extent of pointing out he's from Nazareth. Like here's his hometown. He's from this humble town, Nazareth. He is a man. Yet as fully God, he did mighty works, signs, and wonders. And as fully God, it was not possible for death to hold on to the Son of God. It's really amazing, these verses. So, We all killed Jesus, but God raised him up. Second point, the whole Bible points to Jesus. And that is what we see in verses 25 through 36 as Peter, having been mentored by Jesus, especially in the 40 days from when Jesus rose from the grave until he ascended and Jesus sort of had special classes for the apostles, has been mentored by Jesus, and he now understands, his mind is opened, his heart burns within him, that all of the Bible points to Christ. And he can't wait to share that with people. And so in these verses, 25 through 36, Peter points out all these psalms, well, really just two, that previously they thought referred just to David, and now he sees they refer to Christ. And this point is, it's really interesting because it's so foundational for us. It is how Jesus of Nazareth becomes Jesus, last name Christ, okay? Or Jesus Christ, that's a title, it means Messiah. Or the Lord Jesus. That's what we are seeing here. So just let's just go through this quickly. 
In verse 25 through 28, Peter is quoting from Psalm 16, 8 through 11. So literally, verses 25 through 28 is an exact quote. So I'll read it again. For David says concerning him, so Peter's like talking to Jews who love David, who love the Psalms, and he's like, hey, your book, David, in your book, in our book, Common Ground, in the Psalms, David says in Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. You know the Jews are just sitting there like, yes, favorite psalm, keep going. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. David wrote this in 1000 BC when he lived. And Peter is pointing out here that David was not speaking of himself. In fact, it would be possible for that to be referring to him since David's tomb is right there in Jerusalem. So he did see decay. He didn't rise and see no corruption. So Peter's just making a logical argument here. So let's continue with it. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So can you just picture this right here? Peter literally probably points to the tomb of David. It's like, so let's do some logical argumentation here. David wrote a psalm. We just read it together. David's tomb is over there. Let's put one and one together, and let's figure this out together. He's doing an exercise with them. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of, here's the key word, the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, that he, the Christ, not David, but David's descendant, not David, because David's in a tomb in Jerusalem, but the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. You see what Peter has just done here. It's brilliant. And notice how he appeals to two witnesses. He appeals not to one witness, but to two, because we're two or three witnesses. That's important. So he appeals to the Old Testament and to the witness of the apostles. In verse 32, he says, we are all witnesses. So that's Psalm 16. And that's how Jesus of Nazareth becomes Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. Then he continues, and he looks at Psalm 110. So look at verse 33 to 35, where Peter is expounding another prophecy. Another title for this message could have been the first expositional sermon. But another you know, psalm that he is expounding here, he says Psalm 110 is foretelling what happened with Jesus, who is 
the Lord. Jesus is Lord, Peter is saying. God the Son, having been resurrected and ascended to heaven, now sits at the right hand of God the Father. That's what Peter's saying. So look at it. Verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Again, Peter's referring to Pentecost. He's saying, what you're seeing and hearing, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven on a throne, and he's poured out the Holy Spirit. That's what you're seeing. He says, verse 34, David did not ascend into heaven, but he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So if David is saying, so picture three, three characters here, right? There's David, the one writing Psalm 110, and then he says, the Lord, so that's the other character, that's the Lord, we'll say that's God the Father, said to my Lord, who's that third character? That's what Peter's saying. It's Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You know, Jesus already in Luke 20 used Psalm 110 to say, that's me. And so Peter is just continuing on that. So now we have gone all the way to verse 35 and we've reached verse 36, which I told you is the right hook. It's the knockout blow. Let's read it again. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So just imagine the guilt that would have been felt and would have rushed into the souls of the hearers of Peter as the light bulb came on about who Jesus really was or is. What do you do with guilt? You seek forgiveness, which is the third point. And it is that forgiveness can be found in Jesus. So continuing in verses 37 through 41 to unpack this third point. First, I must personalize and repent of my sin. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The word cut to the heart, literally the word cut means to be pierced or stabbed. The feeling of sharp pain connected with anxiety or remorse. Jesus said the Spirit would come and bring conviction. John 16. There was a movie in the early 2000s called The Passion of the Christ. And the director of the film was Mel Gibson. And, you know, he, um, 
was interviewed, and I watched this interview after the movie, and they asked him, why aren't you in the movie? You're this famous actor. Why didn't you put yourself in the movie? And he said, I did. And they said, oh, well, we didn't see you in there, Braveheart. <laughs> and he said, no, I did. I, I was in the movie. It was my hand, like actually my hand, holding the nail when we nailed the nail into Christ. And he said, the reason I did this was to convey the understanding that we all are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. He said, and I quote, I'm first in line for culpability. I did it. And I think that's what's so important to get here. And that's what these listeners to Peter's sermon got. Because remember, most of these listeners probably were not there the day of the crucifixion. There were thousands of people. Jerusalem had swelled up in population for this cultural holiday that was a pilgrimage holiday where people come from all over the known world to Jerusalem. These are the Jews standing there listening to Peter. They weren't there, but they were just as guilty. And they understood that. And they took their sin personally. And that's the point, really. We must personalize and repent of our sin. Not just being so impersonal about sin, seeing God as some cosmic police officer whose speeding violation you occasionally break, but you never actually personally interact with. No, to really see, I have sinned grieves the heart of God and my sin made it necessary for the Son of God to have his hands pierced with nails. I am a sinner. Woe is me. That's where forgiveness is found. There's a song by Stuart Townsend in the 1990s, How Deep the Father's Love. Listen to some of the words. And listen for this personalizing. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And so these listeners to Peter's sermon on this first day of Pentecost in Acts 2, they were cut to the heart. They were grieved over their sin. They needed forgiveness, and that's the first step toward true forgiveness. And then they asked Peter and the apostles, they said, brothers, what shall we do? Which leads to the second bullet point, I must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to find new life, forgiveness, and power to live a godly life. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent. Literally, the word repent means change your mind. Change your mind about who Jesus is. 
Change your mind about your sin and your need for the forgiveness of Christ. You have to change your mind. You have to repent. The offer of the good news of Jesus Christ that Peter holds out here is forgiveness of our sins, addressing our guilt, wiping away the past, and the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, addressing our future, giving us new life and new power to live a godly life. Now think about what Peter challenges them to do. He says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. I would say this, Peter called upon his listeners to take a humble, public, and bold step of declaring their faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized right there, right beside the temple in Jerusalem just 50 days after Jesus was crucified as a criminal. But no, you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Humble, public, bold. Recently in Jerusalem, I was able to see where these baptisms would have taken place. There were these little, I guess you could say, baptisms. <laughs> they were there were pools for cleansing called mikvahs, and there, there are hundreds of them right outside the temple wall of Jerusalem. And they had steps you could go down into them, and it was something that was used for purifying yourself as a devout Jew before going into the temple. And so as Peter said, be baptized. They looked around. Well, Jordan River is kind of far from here. Let's use these. Let's use these. They have steps. Let's do baptisms right here, right by the temple wall, right where everyone is passing by. You can even see, I have another picture where you can see the wall to the temple and how close these were to it. And so we know as we keep reading that 3,000 people were baptized. Again, Peter challenges them to take a humble, a public in a bold step of declaring their faith in Jesus Christ. So he continues, verse 39, For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to Himself. Verse 40, With many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying... Now what is verse 40? Verse 40 is telling us, Luke is telling us, I didn't give you guys the whole sermon. That's what he's saying. He's saying, this is a summary of Peter's sermon. He said many other words. But he also says this, that Peter said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. That's a quote from the Old Testament. We'll come back to that. So, verse 31, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Pretty amazing. So here's what I want to do in conclusion. I have a few things I want to go, go over with you because as we have been setting Acts 1 and 2, I, I want to really get this together. And so some of this is going to be like, man, that's really good application. Some of it's going to be like, okay, yeah, it feels a little bit like a seminary classroom right there. Um, it's fine. 
Let's think about what we've studied so far real quickly. First, I want you to see the movements that we have seen in Acts so far. Okay, We've gone from 11 apostles because Judas hung himself to now the full 12 apostles with Matthias replacing Judas. We've gone from waiting for the Spirit to now the disciples and the Christians being filled with the Spirit, not drunk on wine. We've gone from the upper room to now the temple and the streets of Jerusalem. We've gone from Jesus of Nazareth, we saw this in our passage this morning, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've gone from the Romans killed Jesus to the cross was the definite plan of God, and we all killed Jesus. We've gone from 120 Christians in the upper room to 3,120 Christians times 26. That's what happened on one day. So that's just what we've seen so far, and I think it's good to capture that as we continue. Let me read you a quote because I want to really stop and pause and recognize that this is the first sermon in church history, and this is the Apostle Peter. And I think whatever you or I think about, like, what is the actual gospel, right? We say, like, well, 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 you know, I like the Apostles' Creed. Well, I like the Nicene Creed. Well, I just, I, whatever. Let's look at this right here, Peter's sermon in Acts. What do we have here? So I want to read you this quote from John Stott. Here, then, is a fourfold message. Two events, Christ's death and resurrection, as attested by two witnesses, prophets and apostles, on the basis of which God makes two promises, forgiveness and the Spirit, on two conditions, repentance and faith with baptism. We have no liberty to amputate this apostolic gospel by proclaiming a cross without resurrection or referring to the New Testament, but not the Old, or offering forgiveness without the Spirit, or demanding faith without repentance. There is a wholeness about the biblical gospel. All right, that's a great quote. (laughs) All right, we're going to keep nerding out for just a little bit longer. One more thing I want to show you. I want you to see how this is a new exodus. This is a new exodus. I just for a moment to consider what's happened in the Old Testament, if you know what's happened in the Old Testament and you've been around church some, and what is happening here. Moses, signs and wonders in Egypt. New Exodus, Jesus, signs and wonders in Jerusalem. Moses' generation, a crooked and unbelieving generation, that's what they're called, in the wilderness that rejected Yahweh. New Exodus, there's a crooked and unbelieving generation in the first century that rejected Jesus. Moses crossing the Red Sea, Joshua, whose name literally is Jesus, Yeshua crossing the Jordan River. New Exodus, Jesus, baptism, Yeshua. Moses, birth of a nation as they are liberated from Egypt. The people of God. New Exodus, birth of the church, the people of God, coming not out of the waters of the Jordan River, but out of the waters of baptism. 
and filled with the Spirit, not to beckon everyone to come to Jerusalem, but to go and take the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. It's really amazing. Acts 2 is. So finally, let's just have three closing applications. And here they are. I know that you ran out of space for notes under the bottom point. I should have told you that, actually. I'm going to tell Second Service, turn your insert over. Um, yeah. Person not taking notes feels like really alienated right now. And you should. Um, so <laughs> here we go. Um, number one, application. It is so important that we be through and through Christ-centered Christians. Look at how Peter starts his sermon, immediately talks about Jesus. Look at Peter's great burden is to show how the Old Testament points to Christ. Every story points to Jesus. Every road leads to the cross. Like that is the burden of Peter and should be the burden in our own hearts too, to be Christ-centered through and through. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not to be a good moral person. Moralism. It's Christ-centered, confessional faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two application. I hope that we will see the necessity of being cut to the heart over our sin. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn over your sin. Be cut to the heart. Personalize your sin. Remember when Peter was denying Christ in Luke's account? And Jesus actually looks at Peter on one of the times when he's denying him and they make eye contact. How personal was Peter's sin in that moment? Be cut to the heart. Personalize your sin and repent and seek the forgiveness of God. And number three application I would say is to see the requirement to be humble, public, and bold about your faith in Jesus Christ. For someone, the next step may be baptism. But what is baptism? It's a declaring of your faith in Christ. And so for those who've already been baptized, it may be talking about Jesus. It may be sharing your faith with someone. But know that Christ requires, the Word of God expects, that we be humble, public, and bold about our faith in Christ. And so we've gone a little long. I want to ask the uh, worship team to come up and sing one more song. And then we're going to quickly have communion this morning. So let me close in prayer.